Critic Mark Dinning of Empire Magazine says this imaginative and intriguing anime deserves all the plaudits heaped upon it. Peter Bradshaw of The Guardian says the story has simplicity and force, with captivating images and gusty narrative ideas, recalling Kipling, Ovid, and Homer. And Susan Stark of Detroit News says, Brooding, occasionally bloody and often abstract, it explores animation's dramatic potential in wondrous ways. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of Princess Mononoke. Reboot. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhoods Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters. Welcome to Ruined Childhoods, your favorite podcast about hypothetical remakes, reboots, sequels, prequels, spinoffs, series, books, musicals, operas, operettas, what have you. But, uh, you know, just the the best way to revive <laughs> an intellectual property. But mostly we just like to, you know, bullshit about movies. Yes, and it's a good excuse to watch to watch movies and uh, check out uh, check out some classics that we're that we're watching. You know, maybe for the I don't umpteenth know, time. Umpteenth the umpteenth time. Yes, there you go. That's the number I was looking for. But yes, um, or for the first time. So that's what we do. I'm Dan. I'm John. With me as always is John. With me as always is John. Party on Dan. Uh, Dan. Party on John. Let's address the, uh, for for regular listeners of the show, the elephant in the room. We haven't released an episode in quite a while. Let's talk about it. Yes. So, our when last we met, uh, our last episode was, uh, uh, was about magic. Uh, not just in general, but the movie starring Anthony Hopkins and Anne Margaret and directed by Richard Attenborough. Oh, also co-starring Burgess Meredith and Ed Lauder. And, uh, and what a fun movie that was. So we did that episode and then, and we were like, okay, so we're going to do, we've got our next episode, uh, Princess Mononoke that we'll be talking about today. And, uh, you know, okay. You know, we're both going to go watch it and, um, you know, life happens. And, you know, uh, in addition to the fact that uh, John and I are both parents of young children uh, and we both work full time jobs that that keep us pretty. We have, a you know, good deal of responsibilities for for those jobs. And, um you know, on top of that, let's see what else. Uh... <laughs> Dan, I was expecting you to say literally like 10 words maybe, where it's just like, life happened, you got COVID, yeah. I got a cold, you have two small kids, life just happens. Since since magic, since we talked about magic, yeah. Everyone, COVID hit my house, my four-month-old got covid and i'm pretty sure i was like patient zero in that uh little outbreak so 
uh, just a reminder to everyone else, you know, just like, hey, it's still out there. It's still out there, and I am vaxxed and boosted, and that still, you know, knocked me out, and, you know, not 100%. Like, I'm still kind of feeling the the fatigue. Like, I went for a little bike ride today, and all of a sudden, I was like, legs, why are you so sore? This is not like you. And then they were like, that's the COVID. (sighs) Damn it. I thought we were done with that. Yeah, it was a whole whole thing uh conversation between me and my legs but dan i have a question for you while you were laid out with covid watch any good movies uh yeah so actually in in the world of reboots and prequels and what have you i watched prey oh (laughs) excuse me the covid um yeah so i watched uh i watched prey it was a little uh it was a little hard to um to I kept getting interrupted uh as I was watching it various things going on in my house and uh you know the baby napping in in the next room to where I'm quarantined so you know it's I'm watching a predator movie on a, a fairly low volume right and uh I have to say there was a lot I really liked about it. I thought it was really like, I love this I new concept. I haven't seen it yet. I got to check it out. I, I just, well, I mean, you know the basic concept, right? It's No, I don't. No? I actually, I want to go into it knowing nothing. All, all I know is that oh, it okay. is in the Predator universe. Then I will, I won't uh, say, I won't get any more specific about it other than to say, like it's definitely worth checking out if you enjoy the Predator movies. It's definitely one of the better ones. Uh, and you know, I I also I stand as a uh, Predator two fan. So you're not alone in that. A lot of people are Predator no. two fans. Predator I actually, really I liked, think has aged well. I really liked the. Geez, I don't even know if it's the latest one or if another one has come out since then between that and and Prey. But was there like a Shane Black one? Um, was was that the Predator or Predator? The Predator that came out like 2018 or something like that. Not that was not the one with Adrian Brody, right? Oh, I don't think so. Because I, I feel know. like that 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 maybe like Robert Rodriguez had something to do with that. I'm look. I you know what? Which one I haven't? Oh, oh no, sorry, that's Alien. <laughs> you know which one I haven't seen? Alien Covenant, which is in a different oh. franchise. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, 2018, there was a The Predator. Uh, I think I saw that. With Keegan-Michael and... Key, directed by Shane Black. Olivia Munn yes. is in it. Ster- Sterling K. Brown, Thomas Jane, uh, Alfie Allen. Yeah, I liked that one. Oh, and oh, uh, uh, Fred Decker was involved. I know, written the by Squad. Fred Decker. Yes. The uh, Monster Squad team. Yeah, together. absolutely. So... Uh, I am a, I, I don't know. I'm a fan of that one. I liked that one. I don't know if that one was super critically acclaimed, but it did it for me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love Shane definitely. Black. Yeah, absolutely. And Shane Black, he was a really good choice to do a Predator movie. And actor in the first Predator movie. That's, yes. Yes. Good point. Callback to our Predator episode. In the did we do a Predator did, episode? We did not do a Predator episode. I don't know why I said that we did. Call back to a future episode. 
I know it's a yeah. For some reason in my mind, we had done a Predator episode, but no, we haven't. Anyway, uh, I enjoyed Prey. I also I binged an entire season of Only Murders in the Building. Oh, so uh, got into that, and that was that was like the right level of what I could handle. Sure. Once I could, I mean, like my first real like full day with it, I just like all I wanted to do was sleep, but then. Day two, I was like, I want to be charmed and entertained by the trio of Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez, who yeah, uh, they're great together. Rounds I mean, out that trio in a like unexpectedly perfect way. I think she absolutely does. Uh, I've finished the second season recently, which it finished itself. So I was there along along the way with them, and uh, you know, it's the second season. I felt like it took a few episodes for it to like, you know, kind of get a few things out of its system and then like really just kind of key into what it should be doing. And I wouldn't say that it necessarily has the same impact as the first one, but it definitely is fascinating. There's a lot of great, uh, you know, side characters from the building that you get to know a little bit better. And, I, you know, it's fun. It doesn't make you do a lot of work. You just kind of get to sit back and enjoy the... Uh, I don't know what what Steve Martin and Martin Short want to bring to you, and then you have Selena Gomez as the 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 person who grounds them, which is uh, really delightful. It's very charming with an edge, um, and there are definitely some episodes that are like kind of depart from the more whimsical tone of the. Well, in the first season, there's the one that's entirely um, subtitles. Because it's, you know, through the, oh. the lens of the, the deaf character. Right, right, right. Yeah. And then actually, the, the, it was the second episode of the second season that I just thought tonally, it, it was interesting to me because I felt it recalled some of like some of Steve Martin's stuff like L.A. Story, which has a lot of like very um, like kind of bizarre humor in it, but also has this like weight and and yeah. depth to uh to that movie so which that's another one maybe another uh future episode that we can call back to sure uh and also yeah call back to the future uh so we also need to talk about the the trailer that just dropped for confess fletch yes. uh, which which introduces us to john ham as as fletch and John Slattery as his ever-suffering, uh, like, editor for the newspaper. He's and taken over for Richard The Libertini. two of them together, it's great. It works. We love and it. John Hamm, like, nails it. He's not... I I feel like, at least from the, from the trailer, he's... He nails the tone that really made, like, the original Fletch movie and i imagine the novels because i haven't read any um kind of makes the character stand out and it's his signature humor and i feel like john ham nails it without doing chevy chase right no absolutely he does his own thing with the character but i feel like it's true to the character no i i think that it made me a little bit even more excited to see it because it's just like yeah, doing its own thing. It doesn't seem like it's trying to 
uh, erase the past. I mean, it is a reboot in the sense of like, you know, we are introduced to this character as, you know, a, a fresh new person, uh, to my understanding, but it's not it's like a, it, I don't know. Right. It, it's not, it, it, it's not part of the original, like lineage. It's not the, the, like not canon together, I guess. I feel right. like it's more of like a, like a, a readaptation of the novels, even though they're adapting a different novel than they did when they made Fletch. Right. Yeah. So I'm excited about it, but, uh, likewise. Yeah. You know, Dan, I, we have a lot of ground to cover with princess Mononoke. Oh, we sure do. Like yes, a worm, uh, much like Ashitaka, demon warthog, trampling through the forests. Yeah. So, Japan. Dan, can you tell me a little bit about what your viewing experience was like for Princess Mononoke? Uh well, uh, you know, for uh, aforementioned reasons, it's it's pretty challenging for me to sit and watch a movie beginning to end in in one sitting. So I watched some of it while I was folding laundry. I watched some of it. I don't understand how you could watch this movie while doing other things. Well, it was kind of that or not watch the movie. Okay. So, yeah, it it, it was a last resort. So, yeah. Um, and. Okay. I here's the thing. I I'm going to I'm going to piss off I'm going to piss off people, but I animation is sometimes really tough for me to really engage with. Really? Um across the board? Um yeah, I mean like there are definitely exceptions to the rule like uh The Lion King was, you know, an animated film that I I loved and love to this day. Um, you know, the, the South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut sure. is one yeah. of my favorite movies. Um, and although I, it's kind of like, you know what you're getting there. Um, but, you know, it's like, I don't know. I just usually, it, it's harder for me to engage with animated films. And I, wonder I what also, it is. what's also interesting is I watched this movie. So depending on where I watched it, the default on one, like on like the Roku was um, the dubbed version with like okay. Claire Danes and Billy Crudup and yeah. like all these actors. And when it, when it was, that it really like it took me out of it because oh, really it, it it kept taking me out of it because like I'm sitting there and I'm listening to this voice. I'm like, oh, who is that? And rather than like being focused oh, on the movie, I'm okay. I'm like, who is that? Is that? And the next thing I'm on IMDb, I'm oh fuck, Billy Bob Thornton. God damn it. Oh man, how did I not? How did well, I not Billy know Bob that? Thornton didn't really do anything to change his voice at all. No. No, I mean, but also, but like, I also would have heard like Claire Danes and been like, I, I know that voice. And okay. Like, so Billy you're Crudup, trying to, I, yeah. 
but anyway, but then if I watched it on the Apple TV, uh, you know, a same app, HBO Max, it defaulted to Japanese and which I prefer to watch it in the original Japanese. Something I forgot to say about Prey is if you're going to watch it on Hulu, there is an option to watch it in, um, I want to say Cherokee. It's uh, Comanche. Uh, Oh, come on, Shay. So, uh, yeah. Apologies. Um, but I didn't realize that until after when, like, I finished watching it and it was like, here are other recommended titles. And oh, it's like, yeah. and I was like, oh, damn it. Like, I would have, I would have watched that. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, and that would have been wonderful. But so it was well, interesting to watch Princess Mononoke in both the original Japanese and then this English well, dubbed okay. version with all so, of these familiar voices. So what surprises me is that uh, knowing that the the English translation was scripted by Neil Gaiman, I thought that you would have been maybe more prone to be uh, excited about the English language version. Um, not to say that there's any reason not to watch the, you know, subtitled Japanese original version. Um, but I, since I know you're a Neil Gaiman fan, I thought that you would be, have been drawn. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> Pun intended. Well, no, but g- let's go on. Um, so, but I, I don't know. I thought that maybe that would have been something that would be appealing to you. I did not realize that it was. Oh. And, and it wasn't the adept. Like, that was. And I just, I don't know. I just usually default to, like, I want to hear the original performances. I want to hear. Yeah. Like, that's, that's what I want to hear. And I prefer that. But, like, also. Because I was doing other things, sometimes it just made more sense for me to have on the the dubbed version, and yeah. which and and I figured I, even though I didn't realize it was Neil Gaiman, I was like I'm sure like you know this has been adapted by you know someone who's you know not who's more than capable. Sure, and there's there's something else that I want to mention about the 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 English language dubbed versions is that I you know I feel like the Studio Ghibli and by the way we are uh we have decided to go with the pronunciation Ghibli that is the way that Miyazaki pronounces it so we are going to be saying Studio Ghibli so uh Studio Ghibli uh, the dubbed versions of their films for the most part it's kind of like a a big deal for an actor to be chosen to voice uh, the the English language version of these characters. It's not, uh, you know, every, you know, movie that comes out of uh, Japan, animated movie that comes out of Japan or, or any other country for that matter, where you get like this high of a pedigree of of acting talent. And it's for a reason. These, these films, the Studio Ghibli films are so highly regarded Um and for for good reason, Dan. I know that this was your first Studio Ghibli movie, which I think in a lot of ways is a, a really good entry. But in a lot of other ways, it's like you could have started at a much more basic place uh, because this one is really heavy. Uh, this one has people's heads getting torn off by you know arrows, whereas uh, there are ones like My Neighbor Totoro 
or uh, Ponyo or um, Kiki's Delivery Service that, you know, are, are much more delicate. And this one is, you know, a, a story about the, you know, the battle between uh, humans and nature. And I, the same thing kind of is, is the same uh, meaning is kind of taken from uh, like My Neighbor Totoro, but in a much more delicate way. Whereas this one, you get you get it all. Oh yeah, no, this is like one of the things that really struck me about this, and and you know also just to uh, speak to your point about you know the 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 casting for this. I mean, this is like for 1997. Like yeah, this okay. is a. I, Let's I mean, run this through. Is a, this is an A grade cast, like at any point, but like at this point, like Billy Bob Thornton. This was like what a year after Sling Blade. Yeah. So here's what here's how I think I want to do this one, Dan. I want to do All this right. one a little bit differently, uh, because this is such a dense story. I didn't want to risk getting something wrong or misrepresenting something because there were a lot of things that I read online, uh, synopses where uh, I read them and I'm just like, I don't feel like that's accurate, but there's a Studio Ghibli wiki and I am going to read the synopsis and it's like a more of a breakdown from that. And what I'd like to do is kind of, uh, you know, take a, take a breath uh, at certain moments for us to kind of discuss uh, what we've seen up until that point. And um, before I do that, I'll go down the, the cast list. Uh, Ashitaka, who's the main character is, is voiced and we're going to go with the, I'm, I'm only going to say the English voice cast because I, uh, this is an English language podcast. So uh, if this was a Japanese language podcast, perhaps I would be uh, going more into the Japanese cast, or if this was a uh, a podcast that talked more about the films of uh, Japan, uh, then I would probably be more likely to do that. But Ashitaka, we've got Billy Crudup. Uh, Jigo is Billy Bob Thornton. Um, as son, we have Claire Danes. Uh, Lady Abashi is Minnie Driver. Um, Toki is Jada Pinkett Smith. Moro is Jillian Anderson. Akoto is Keith David. Um, Gonza, John DiMaggio, who people would know as, you know, voiced like Bender and Futurama and like a thousand other animated characters. So it's like, it's that high a pedigree of, you know, your late 90s talents. I mean, doesn't get much better than, than this crew. At that time. I mean, the first voice you hear is Keith David, which is like so. Oh, yeah. It's so familiar to oh, hear yeah. like just just the voiceover at the beginning. And it's Keith David. And it's just like, oh, that's oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to begin kind of the the rundown. Uh Princess Mononoke follows the journey of the last Amishi prince, Ashitaka, and his attempts to make peace between the human settlement, Iron Town, and the creatures living in the forest that surrounds it. That's the, like, you know, one-sentence full-on synopsis. But, like, that does not do this film any justice at all, because it is bananas. 
with a capital B A N A N A S. Well, yeah, I mean, because there's a whole other, like, there's all of these barely underlying themes that carry through. It's a very, I, like, dare I say it, especially for 1997 woke uh, <laughs> film. I mean, a lot of the messages in it are very, like, they are, they're common themes now, especially, um, you know, in terms of like progressive media and, sure. uh, you know, storytelling. So, yeah. um, you know, this, it's very, uh, anti-gun. <laughs> well, um, yeah. You know, very pro environment. Um, yes. Yeah. So. All right. You ready, Dan? To like, really ready. begin? Yeah. This film go. begins with Ashitaka saving his village from a vicious assault by killing a demon who is actually the giant boar god Nago, embodied by rage. During the fight, Ashitaka receives a demon mark on his right arm, and he is cursed by the boar god's hatred and pain. Ashitaka is told that the mark will spread throughout his body, killing him. A ball of iron is found inside Nago's corpse, which is somehow connected to the curse. Yeah, that's pretty gnarly. The, the way that this uh, the demon... Uh, it's kind of like these globby worm things that form around this boar. And yeah. oh my God, when you hear that boar, you know, is, you know, dying and the, you know, the, uh, the boar God dying, it is chilling. It, it's, it's chilling, but I'm looking at my notes. And so speaking of Lion King, when I didn't know what else to call it, I just was refer referring to it as Pumbaa. <laughs> Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> when like, I oh. was a young warthog. Well, uh, <laughs> well, I'm like, well, my notes were first, it, it's a pasta rodent. It's a warthog. It's a warthog coated in worms. It's a demonic koosh ball. Uh, a demonic koosh ball. But like Rosie O'Donnell then, flinging it into uh, hell. <laughs> um. It's very 1997. Um, yeah. yeah, spot on. So, uh, but yeah, like the fact that it's a musket ball that causes this yeah. like creature to become evil and to just be like to rot with evil. And I was like, oh, because it got shot. Yes. And yeah. So. Uh, and then when you meet the well, but well, yeah, well, let's let's we're gonna keep on chugging ahead. But keep at this point, going. we just know that it's a lump of iron. We haven't seen a gun. We right. don't know anything yet. So Ashitaka yeah. resolves to journey to Nago's origin, the lands to the west, to try and find a cure for his curse. He cuts his hair, signifying his permanent departure from his village, and rides out with Yakul, his local red elk, since it was considered taboo to see. Uh, see off one who's banished, uh, blah, 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 blah. Um, so Kaya gives him a crystal dagger so that he would not forget her. Uh, that's, I guess, his uh, bride-to-be, so this says. The forest spirit reveals itself to Ashitaka. Having traveled some distance, Ashitaka arrives in a forest full of animal gods, including the wolf god Moro. Also in the forest is the forest spirit, described as a god of life and death which takes the form of a deer during the day and a large shadowy night walker at night. 
The forest lies beside a human settlement called Iron Town, which continually clears the forest to get more iron ore, causing many battles as the animals attempt to protect their diminishing forest. It was during one of these battles that Iron Town's leader, Lady Eboshi, shot Nago. So that's where we kind of discover that. But I also want to point out that this is also when we see that the infected arm that he has uh, gives him this kind of like superhuman strength when it is like activated. And Dan, this is one thing that kind of confused me a little bit. I'm pretty sure I'm no archer, but I'm pretty sure that your physical strength cannot change the way that an arrow can, you know, the, the force of an arrow. That's all up to the bow. I don't think that you can yourself with your own physical strength change the, you know, the, the force of an arrow. I don't know if I agree with you there, John. Really? Uh, yeah, well, because I would imagine that if you have more strength, um, you know, especially in your arms, your chest, your back, you're going to have better control of the bow. And uh, okay, um, but that's accuracy. Well, no, but that's also velocity because you're not shaking, you're not wobbly, and you can focus on your target. You can hold that. You can pull the the I'm, I don't the string whatever back and like you can pull it back farther like if you're stronger but yeah I mean the bow has to be a strong bow like yeah. you can't not no if you have a shitty bow <coughs> excuse me COVID uh it doesn't matter how strong you you, you know you are because you'll just break the bow um, right. But I, I would say, but that's, I would, but to to make a dude's head get ripped off of his body or to slice somebody's arm in half, that seems well, a little how out so, there. so Kevin Costner in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, splits an arrow with his arrow, and I mean, okay, I mean, I wouldn't. He was not like the most accuracy. physically strong person that's accuracy yeah but you also i mean you have to shoot that thing pretty hard if you're gonna split an arrow down the middle in twain as as they say in robin hood men in tights right that's true anyway that part of it got me questioning anyway, a little bit like look, could that really if you know more than we do about such things, and you probably do, please email us at ruinedchildhoodspod at gmail.com and teach us a thing or two about uh, what, uh, what, if anything, strength has to do with um, the velocity with which one shoots an arrow. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, yes, we have discovered now that... Uh, Lady Eboshi, voiced by Minnie Driver, uh, shot Nago, and that is the, you know, inciting incident that kind of uh, creates this chain of events. And yeah, you have, uh, it's Iron Town. They're, they're mining for iron ore. This is industry versus nature. It is no bueno. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if I actually see this in here well let me i'll read this one more bit and then let's see if uh i need to address this uh during the film ashitaka travels between the forest and iron town several times trying to make peace during ashitaka's first visit the village is attacked by san a human girl who has been adopted by the wolves 
Ashitaka intervenes to stop the two sides fighting and takes San back to the forest, but is injured in the process. With San's intervention, he is healed of his wounds, but not his curse by the forest spirit. Okay, so one thing that I did want to talk about is that Iron Town isn't just an evil place that is destroying, you know, the forest and anything. Like they they take in lepers and they um I, I'd say that in a lot of ways it's also very progressive in the way that like the women are doing the work. Um oh yeah. Granted, they could maybe be given some comfortable clothes to wear instead of just like loosely fit robes. But uh yeah. But um, yeah, the well, the and, men I are mean, the the men are there to defend the the city, and the women are there doing the work. Well, and they're also like Lady Eboshi is is in charge. So yeah, yeah, and absolutely. Right, you're right. There's a lot. I mean, that's that was something else that I thought was really um, like skillfully done is that it's not it's not just one-sided like even though i felt like this was very much on the side of you know conservation and um you know i guess anti anti anti-gun um i i did feel like they showed you know the opportunities that this provided and yeah yeah iron town is kind of that like you know it's like from a Western. Yeah. And something that also this doesn't bring up is that we have now been introduced to Jigo, which is Billy Bob Thornton's character, who is uh, just kind of like a, a villager. But you can tell that he's, you know, kind of a slime ball. And uh, Ashitaka has kind of pseudo befriended him. I don't know. Like he kind of travels with Ashitaka a little bit, but... You're definitely skeptical of him the entire time. You're just not too sure about him. He seems like kind of an unsavory dude. So anyway, soon enough, Morrow and her pups approach and they find an army of <coughs> boars have come to save the forest and stop the humans. They become angry by the fact that Ashitaka was saved, but Nago wasn't. Morrow tells them that Nago was so blind with rage that he fled. Ashitaka then tells them that he killed Nago because he attacked his village and after he received his mark, he came to this forest to be healed, and while his wound was healed, his mark remained, and soon the mark will kill him. Uh, I don't know if there's much more to comment on there. Shrug? Okay. Seconds That's later, the happens. boar god, Lord Akoto, and uh, Lord Akoto is... Um, That's Keith David. So uh, yes. uh, Lord Akoto has come, and Ashitaka tells him that what he said was the truth. Lord Akoto believes Ashitaka is sad, um, but is sad Nago has become a demon and tells Ashitaka to leave and will have to kill him if he does return. Before he leaves, Moro tries to warn Akoto that he will be killed if he fights the humans, but he refuses to back down, saying that even if every last of them dies, it'll be a battle no one will forget. Well, that's true. As we'll see. Under the influence of Jigo, Aboshi sets out to destroy the forest spirit. The head of the forest spirit is believed to grant immortality. Jigo plans to give the head to the emperor. In return, the emperor promises to give Iron Town legal protection against the envious uh, Damyos coveting the town's prosperity. Aboshi, however, suspects 
rightly, that the Emperor's agents are also assigned to take control of Irontown at the most opportune moment. See, this is dense. I could not have written this out uh, in a way that makes much more sense than this. A week later, Ashitaka wakes up in Maro's den, and it turns out San has been nursing him. He and Maro have a talk where Ashitaka says he wants the forest and humans to be at peace, but Maro tells him, and by the way, um, Maro is Jillian Anderson. Yeah. Maro tells him uh, that with the battle tomorrow, that he that won't be possible. They then have a heated conversation, and Maro soon tells Ashitaka how she found San. Before going back inside, she too warns that Ash- Ashitaka that if he returns, she would kill him. The next day, he leaves and gives one of the wolves the crystal dagger for, uh, for San. Meanwhile, the army is starting to lure the boars out of the forest, and since Akoto is blind, San tells her mother that she must help him. Moro agrees and tells San Ashitaka cares for her. Right then, the other pup comes with the crystal dagger, which she is in awe with. Ashitaka soon sees that the samurai have indeed taken control of Irontown, and they need the men's help. Ashitaka goes to get them. While running, Yakul is shot, and while he does tell Yakul to stay put, Ashitaka finally lets him come. Uh, Yakul is a really loyal um, companion animal. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. You could tell they have, like, a pretty pretty cool thing going on. Yeah. Yeah. He soon finds out that the Battle of the Boars was a nightmare. They were put in front to lure the boars out and make the matters worse. Jigo's men didn't tell them about uh, the mines they dropped. As a result, the entire boar army was wiped out. They soon find a wolf caught under the boar's body, and when Ashitaka tries to save the wolf, poison darts are fired. Thankfully, the men from Irontown help them free the wolf, and Ashitaka goes to find San and Lady Eboshi. What this doesn't say is that the boars are actually the men wearing the boar's skin. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. I'm like, wait a second. I'm, yeah. Okay, good. I'm remembering this accurately. Yes, absolutely. Um, <laughs> despite Ashitaka's efforts, Aboshi succeeds in cutting off the forest spirit's head while it is transforming. And by the way, the head doesn't get cut off. The head gets shot off. Doesn't right. it? Right. I thought yeah. so. Yeah, I thought that was a pretty important detail. Anyway, Jigo yeah. collects the head while the body is transformed into a god of death. As a result, the land becomes covered with a lethal black ooze that completely destroys the forest and turns the land barren. To stop the spreading ooze from reaching the villagers, Ashitaka and San manage to take the head from Jigo, and by returning the head to the forest spirit, the land becomes green again, and Ashitaka's curse is finally lifted. Even though though San and Ashitaka have grown close, they go their separate ways to the forest and to Irontown respectively. However, Ashitaka promises to visit San in the forest whenever he can. Meanwhile, Lady Eboshi realizes that there is kindness in San and decides to rebuild the town, but a better, kinder one. Ugh. You know who uh, they reminded me of? Uh, San and, and Ashitaki, their relationship reminded Ashitaka. me of John. What's that? Ashitaka. Mm-hmm. Ashi- sorry. Uh um reminded me of Jon Snow and the Egret the um like the wild the wildling oh, who Jon yeah, Snow yeah. has the affair with and who the actors are sure. actually married um yeah. IRL and 
like the whole like because i was just waiting for saws you know nothing john snow uh yeah yeah no it's it's interesting because i i mean i definitely respect that like they don't get together at the end and like save every everybody animals and trees and people as you know a couple you know they they go off and do their things and it's like (laughs) right um, you know, San, uh, voiced by Claire Danes, like, you know, she has got her own thing going on. She does not consider herself, herself human. She considers herself a wolf. And that's that. Like, she has no business being with Ashitaka. She respects no. him now. And she, you know, doesn't just see all humans as evil. That's for sure. But. Right. Yeah. No, she's got bigger. She's got bigger things going on. Yeah, I'd say. She doesn't have time. But, you know, I, I I understand, Dan, that, you know, animated films don't necessarily do it for you. But I got to say, like, some of the visuals in this were really stunning. Uh, the way I know that there was some CGI used in this, but like the way that they would show certain things was like really striking. And since this for me was the first, uh, well, I'd seen uh I saw some of Spirited Away. I only saw the beginning of it because I was watching it with my kid and she was not ready for that movie. Uh, Not my decision to turn it on, uh, but it was certainly my call to turn it off. But, um, you know, I I was aware that that these movies could get really dark and intense, but um, I was used to seeing the more, like, I guess... Family friendly, for lack of a better term. Totoro. Um, Totoro, exactly. Uh, which is which I, I've. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, say like which is still like a stunning film, and there's some beautiful animation in it. But uh, there was some stuff in Princess Mononoke that I was just like, oh my god, that's stunning. It's, oh well, that and one of my other reactions to it was like, man, I would love to see this in a theater, and yeah. Of course, I could have had an opportunity. There were some 25th anniversary screenings. I don't know if any of those happened around uh, Seattle, where I live. But uh, just this this past summer, uh, it was screened at New York City's Japan Society. Uh-huh. So it's uh, 35 millimeter screening. Um, and yeah. I think it also had some had a limited re-release back in April. But um Oh, there was another, I had another observation. Well, while you're trying to think of that, I'll just let you know, like there's, uh, it's very common for like repertory theaters to do uh, Studio Ghibli, like retrospectives and just like show all of the films, like in chronological order. Like that happens all the time if you're paying attention. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and that's something I would... That's something that after watching this, I would possibly do. But oh, yeah, my anecdote about my neighbor Totoro, not that I've seen it. But um, so that that came out on uh, VHS and I suppose DVD uh, when I was working at West Coast Video in Westfield, New Jersey. And um, my uh, assistant manager used to call it... uh, my neighbor John Turturro and we just would like speculate like what would that film be like and like well my neighbor Totoro it came out in 88 
but I think that they oh. did the like the English language version. Uh, it might have been a ten year because if yeah, because ninety eight would have been when I was working there. One yeah, the, Totoro. I'm just looking years. it up. The English version was oh no, they must have done it a, a couple of times maybe, because I know that it was uh. The cast was Dakota Fanning and Elle Fanning, Tim Daly. Um, so that was 2005. I mean, this would have, yeah, this would have been pre-Fanning. Yeah, I was so. going to say, because, well, this is 2005. The There was another version from 93 with uh, Lisa Mickelson, Cheryl, Cheryl Chase, uh, Greg Snegoff, oh, Alexandra yeah, I mean, Kenworthy. It might have been that it might not have just come out, but it might have been something that we just had on the shelves. I don't know. I yeah. know this happened. Oh, I, hey, I believe you. Um, yeah, the there was an, it was 1989 slash 93. So I don't know if it just was made in 89, came out in 83, but or 93. But anyway, uh, yeah, the. The Dakota Fanning, L. Fanning, Tim Daly version is the version that I saw, and uh, it's it's charming. It's really delightful. It's whimsical. Uh, it's beautiful. There's some really great animation in it. Uh, there's some really fun um, little characters that come up in it. And uh, what what do you see? There was a VHS reissue on June twenty seventh, nineteen ninety seven. That would there you fit go in that timeline. So sure, and I wonder mystery solved. Yeah, and I wonder if that was maybe done with you know because of Princess Mononoke, you know to you know commemorate the uh, the origins of Studio Ghibli in some way. But Give it a little push. Yeah, that sure. would make sense. Yeah. Uh, that makes sense. But Dan, I um I'm sorry to hear that, you know, this that animation is not your your jam. I didn't I I've known you I, for almost 40 years. How do I not know this? But well because like not because that's it's not always the case. There's some uh, like I said before, other animated films that uh that What's I'm, what do you I, how do you feel I about dig? stop motion? Well, you know what I was funny, I was just going to say uh, Nightmare Before Christmas okay. uh, is a movie I enjoy. Anomalisa. Is oh yeah, a movie... we've talked about Anomalisa a bunch. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a, a film that that I really, um, I, yeah, I'll say I enjoyed it. It's really you know interesting. It's not really a, a movie to enjoy. Yeah, right, right. No, um, you know, I'm not inviting you know the neighbors over, like you know, putting it on in the backyard. Oh yeah, no. Yeah, we're going to pop open a keg and watch Anomalisa. Well, um, you know, I mean, I th- I'd say that every six months or so, I just do my own personal uh, viewing of all like David Thewlis movies. And it's just like, oh. you know. Nice. It, just to, um, You have to. I skip the do. Harry Potters, though. Do you do you not pick? You don't just do like one of the Harry Potters? No. No. You the, Those kind of stand on their own. They're they're not like you know true Thulis. I mean you know definitely you know the Big Lebowski. I uh, you know get him going in there. That's kind of like where you start with it. Okay, do you do like naked? 
Mike Lee. What's that? The Mike Lee film Naked. Oh, sorry. David Thewlis. Uh, sure. Yeah. Do you do absolutely. The Island of Dr. Moreau. Oh, my God. Of course, Island of Dr. Moreau. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So, All right. Cool. So, Dan, like, I don't know. I, does this make you interested to see other Studio Ghibli movies? Yes. Um, I, I'm definitely more, I'd be definitely more interested if they were doing like a retrospective, um, which they would sometimes do at our, our local theater. I want to say at some point, uh, since I've lived, uh, in this area, our local theater has had like a studio Ghibli, like animation fest. And like, that would be a fun thing. I would love to like, you know, take my, my daughter, um, you know, uh, see if I could, you know, convince her, uh, you know, she's a tough sell, uh, on some things, but, um, like I would love to, to go see the, these movies in a theater. Uh, yeah. it's also less likely going to be folding laundry, uh, in those, in those circumstances. Okay. But yeah. How that's... funny would it be? For there to be a theater that replicates the at-home experience where you're just like, it, it just gives you a laundry basket just full of clothes to fold. Um, you know, every now and then a phone will ring. <laughs> uh, that's random people knocking on the door. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, cons- is there like construction outside? Yes. It's yeah. just the sound uh, right. of construction outside. Oh, so, fabulous. Yeah, I definitely would pay for that. So, yeah. IMAX. So, yeah, Dan, I would definitely encourage you to watch some other Studio Ghibli movies. Um, I mean, a, a lot of them are much easier watches than this. I would certainly recommend My Neighbor Totoro. I think that that's uh, a, a perfect one to to enjoy. See, the thing, the thing is with, you know, your daughter, I don't think that she would maybe enjoy some of those ones as much because I feel like she would think that they might be too much for littler kids. Um, It's hard to say, Um, but I don't know if she's ready for something like spirited away. I don't, who knows? Yeah. Like it's it's not the type of kid. He can just be like, all right, here's what we're doing. We're watching this. Like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe someday, like she's eight. So, yeah, you know, maybe when she's 10, she'll, she might be a little bit more interested or maybe not. Let her do her own thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, but yeah. So that, but that's what I would, I'd like to, to do that. I was thinking though, like, it would be interesting because really, how do you re, like, you're not going to do a remake. I feel like you're like, you, you're not going to do a sequel because that's just kind of like it. I feel like it diminishes the value of it. I'd be interested to see, uh, like a stage adaptation. Oh yeah. And I'm thinking, well, because I think about let like what someone, and again, it comes back to the Lion King because I think about what someone like Julie Taymor did with the Lion King and, and uh-huh. um, using, uh, you know, puppetry and, and really creating a world where y- you believed it. And you're like, 
yes, those are gazelles uh, sprinting across the the plain. Uh, so I I don't know that I'm like I don't like I'm not saying I want to see Julie Taymor does Princess Mononoke, but uh, I I feel like you've got a lot of really creative minds out there working in theater. And I, I honestly, I'd be shocked if it hasn't already been done. Um, maybe not with this film, maybe with another studio Ghibli film, but I, I think it would be really interesting to see a, a stage version of, mm. you know, of this, uh, you know, I don't know if that's how I'll feel about any of the others, but I thought to myself, it's like that could potentially be really cool. Okay. A really cool experience. So that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, Dan, I, I don't know if I, I don't know that this is necessarily what I would like to see, but if something had to be done, um, I think it would be really cool if there was a remake of this that was, uh, you know, uh, made with all Japanese actors, Japanese director, uh, live action, and including uh, the animation style of Miyazaki being represented in the cg that would be necessary to make some of these things happen uh because i think that there's a lot in the style that can be done in a a new way that doesn't feel like it's trying to be hyper realistic but that's not trying to be just like you know studio ghibli animation over live action film um I, so, not that I have the exact answer on what on how that would go exactly, but you know, just like thinking about the those kind of like the the koosh the koosh ball koosh, um, you know, I think that there'd be a really fascinating way to make that happen with CG that doesn't necessarily need to look hyper realistic. Well, and I mean, it, it would be interesting to see what like I mean, it's like man what would jim henson have have done i'm like i don't i don't want to see henson studios i'm like i want to see what jim henson would have done yeah. but also i'm thinking about your idea and, and it makes me think of spike jones's adaptation of where the wild things are oh yeah mm -hmm. so like is that kind of along the lines of because i feel like that was very indebted to the style of Maurice Sendak. Sure. Because, and, and you can do that with, um, you know, big suits and CGI combination and stuff like that. Uh, because for that one, that's all about capturing the vision of a child's imagination, which of course right. has James Gandolfini's voice. <laughs> well, I mean, come on. Don't all kids imagine James Gandolfini as one of their like imaginary friends? Yeah. Like, come on, who doesn't? Yeah. It's like how every, how every kid, uh, every kid imagines that someday Robert Loggia is going to step into their kitchen and maybe sell them you. a minute made orange juice. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Weird. 
the kids re that is the best commercial because of how this like eight-year-old kid reacts he is so starstruck when robert loggia like dressed in an all black suit like he just came from killing someone like walks in and he's like this is some fucking great orange juice kid you have to imagine that there was a mistake in like the casting office or like somebody you know they had to film it that day and like the I don't know, like Michael J. Fox got sick and uh, they were just like, quick, who do we get? Who do we get? Like, who's the first person we can get here? And someone's just like, I got Robert Loja on the phone. I, I don't care. Fine. 45 miles away. I'll be there in 15 minutes. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. He drives like, like, like Mr. Eddie in uh, Lost Highway. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, all right. Yeah. So I don't know. That's, that's what I was thinking because I feel like I would really enjoy seeing this done. Um, just to see what somebody would do with this. And I feel like we're at a point in filmmaking where it's like, you know, you can create these like gigantic, immense worlds. And, uh, you know, where it just looks like there's barely any civilization, and we can create these kind of like large wolves and boars and stuff like that that don't look super cheesy. And I mean, I feel Holy like these shit. all have what like a particular. Hmm? What if George Miller did it? George Miller, I think, would be great if he was Japanese. I, well, yeah. I do feel like it, uh, it needs yeah. to be a Japanese be. Uh, director. Well, and, and I mean, yeah, I'm sh I'm sure that there are definitely. Uh, Japanese filmmakers who would would perhaps love to to uh, take yeah. a stab at something like this and would have a vision for it. So sure, yeah, sounds. But like I just that. really want to learn about the dynamics of the bow and arrow and like if if like the strength of uh, an anger demon can uh, really rip somebody's head off in that way. Yes, please. I think like we need to know. But also, John says it's like, no. I, I say yes. But also, it's like I feel like even if strength was an aspect, it, the arrow would just not get stuck in the person. It would just goes right through them. It wouldn't make their head fall off. An arrow doesn't expand when it enters, you know, the skin. You don't have to try to defend this, Dan. You can get on board with what I'm saying. I know I you're trying really though. hard to I, think of I a I want to believe it. I just want to believe. I want to believe that if you're strong enough, uh, you could tear someone's head off with an arrow. Well, uh, since Jillian Anderson uh, was a voice in this and you do want to believe, I guess I'll just have to uh, let it happen. So, Dan, do you want to uh, tell everybody what we're doing on our next episode of Ruined Childhoods whenever that might come out? Yes. So at, at some point, at an undisclosed point in the future, we will be discussing the 1983 John Badham movie War Games starring Matthew Broderick. Dabney Coleman. Dabney Coleman. Is this Dabney our first Coleman? Is this our first Coleman? Is our first dab of the Dabney? Yeah. 
Our first dab of the knee, if you will. Okay. Uh, I believe so. Our first, uh, hopefully, our first of many. Uh, Love Dabney Coleman. Yeah. So, yeah. So we're going to be talking about War Games, which is... Uh, which is fun. It'll be celebrating its 40th anniversary next year. It turns 40 next year, just like you. That's right. I, yeah, yeah, I share a birth year with war games. That's right. That's right. Well, you came out uh, approximately two months before war games. So maybe I saw it in the theater. (laughs) Maybe that was your first movie. I, yeah. Yeah. Right. Pretty sure it was follow that bird. So, all right. That's what we have on record, but you know, you can't trust those things. More, yeah, unofficially, it could be war games, but I'm excited. It's been a long time since I've uh, since I've seen it, so uh, I'm looking forward to checking it out and talking about uh, uh, what, what can you do with war games. Well, Dan, as uh, as you are trying to uh, outrun Jigo. And take back the uh, the head of the far spirit. I wish you a good journey. Why good journey to you. Mm-hmm.